I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Welcome into this week's episode of a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get to today's guest, I want to thank our sponsors at Dr. Dish Basketball. This is our program's first year to have a Dr. Dish, and it's already been a huge help to our players. Uh, With their CT model, our players are able to customize their workouts, and then once they're finished with those workouts, their stats are automatically uploaded to the cloud. It's really helped make shooting outside of practice much more competitive which I know most of us, that can be a challenge to get our players to get competitive outside of practice. So uh, right now, if you mention a quick timeout, you'll receive $300 off your purchase. To find out more about that, visit drdishbasketball.com. It's great to have joining us today, Coach Lacey Perkins and founder of the Virtual Coaching Clinics. I could probably list about seven or eight more things that he does, but uh, I know a lot of you are familiar with the Virtual Coaching Clinics, took advantage of those over the pandemic Coach Perkins, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you, Tony, for the for the invitation, and, and thank you for uh, letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. I, I call Coach Perkins the godfather of digital coaching clinics because <laughs> he was one of the first to create video coaching lessons for coaches. I, I don't want to date you, Coach, but wasn't it like VHS? Was it before that, or was it VHS? It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty close. I think I was even drawing on the ground, you know, at, at one point, but... Uh, he was no, carving was, into rocks was, and that kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the earlier uh, clinics that you put together and something that I know that you've spent a lot of time doing just related to European basketball. And, and we can talk more about like ball screen offense and some of the specific things that you've looked at with European basketball. But how, kind of starting from the beginning, how did you get interested in international basketball? It really started in 1984. I'm going to date myself here. So it started in 1984 when there was an article in Sports Illustrated talking about the uh, Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. And they were showing some of the different offensive sets that other countries would run. So um, so it had Spain running the flex. Why? I'd never heard the flex before. So, you know, I'm like, okay, this is this is pretty interesting. I'm like, this is this is pretty cool here. So um then from there, as I would read the difference um, back in the day when they would have clinics, what there was an organization, Medalist uh, McGregor, uh, who actually used to sponsor the clinics, had these notebooks. And these were notes from all the different clinics that would occur, that had occurred. And so you would hear different you know, speakers maybe talking about, oh, we took a tour over to, to Europe and you know, we played this team from this particular country, or I had a chance to travel here and you know, this particular uh, country, you know, this this is what their emphasis was. So, you know, I'd read that and kind of kind of take notes and, and you know and kind of keep it in my, you know, I guess my mental um, file box for the future. And then I remember uh, the NABC used to do a a monthly magazine, and one of the uh, articles talked about American coaches over in Europe and and kind of their contribution. Like George Carl, you know, had gone and coached at uh, Real Madrid. And then Herb Brown, who was uh, who who is Larry Brown's brother, uh, who had been coaching in Spain as well, and, and kind of how American coaches had had an impact on the game in Europe. Take all that. And then 1994, I'm uh, coaching at Kerry High School. I'm an assistant coach there at the school. And several of our players got invited to take part in a, a tour over in Belgium. 
And I just happened to be the only boys coach at the meeting. And so they asked me if I would coach the, the Raleigh Durham team. So I, I traveled, you know, over to Belgium. We played um, the first couple of rounds. We, you know, we did we did well against teams from Poland, teams from Germany, and then we played a team from Croatia. That was when I had my kind of my aha moment because the Croatians, the bigs were shooting threes. Their guards, you know, could play off pick and rolls. They came off of, of floppy screens, just, you know, just very efficient. And so I'm like, okay, there's something there about this. And so that's why I'm, like, I'm going to really start doing a deep dive and studying it. So it, as much as possible, I, I try to, you know, get clips when I can of, uh, of games. And then it wasn't until 2006, 2007, when I started to produce my, my DVDs that I really, you know, was able to get you know, resources. Because back in the day, you know, before we could, download games off of off of uh, YouTube or Synergy, there's only like one or two people you could get games from from overseas. It was like a, he, this person had a monopoly on it. So, And the DVDs were like $35 for a game. So, you know, my producer said, okay, pick four teams that you, you know, pick four teams that you would like to, to look at. So I was like, yeah, okay, well, I know Seska, uh, which, you know, the professional team from Russia. I know they're good. So let me get you know, let me get some uh, video of them. I said, Maccabi Tel Aviv. I know, you know, that's a good team. Let me go ahead and get some video of them. And um, I, I can't remember the other ones, but uh, those are, I said, let me get two of those games. But at the same time, I think NBA TV was also showing, they, they'd have their yearly game of the week. So now I'm watching, I'm watching Barcelona, I'm watching Real Madrid, and then I'm watching Benetton, uh, which is an Italian team that was coached by David Blatt. And so now I'm really starting to kind of do the deep dive. So that's that's where it started. So in the process of doing that research, I'm watching one day, I'm watching Olympiacos play. And Olympiacos is a professional team in Greece. And I noticed they're running this offense. And I'm like, well, this is interesting because they just ran the same pattern on the, on the, you know, on the strong side and the weak side. I said, that looks like a continuity. So I started watching it again. I'm like, okay, that is a continuity. So I'm like, okay, let me let me draw this up. So you know, I take my notes and, and kind of you know write everything down. Well, the next day I'm watching um, a, a film of Maccabi Tel Aviv, and Maccabi's running the same same offense. So I'm like, okay, well maybe this is the Maccabi thing because the head coach for Olympiacos is um, um, Coach uh, Penny Gershon, who was a former Maccabi coach. So I'm like, you know, maybe this was in, developed in Israel. So a couple of weeks later, I get a call from Herb Welling. You know, Herb Welling, the, the godfather of the dribble. I, I call him the godfather of the dribble drive. So Herb calls me, says, hey, look, um, I got a question for you. He says, I know you watch a lot of international basketball. He's like, I just got a call from Coach Hurley, you know, Bob Hurley Sr. He said, they just got back from the uh, big man camp in Italy. And he said, him and Fran Fraschella were talking to this coach from Lithuania, and he showed them this really interesting ball screen offense. I'm like, Really? He said, yeah. He said it was like a continuous side screen. I'm like, Herb, I said, look, can I, I'm, I'm going to draw this up for you. I said, can I fax this to you? Again, dating myself. <laughs> you know, can I fax these diagrams over to you? I said, and can you send them to coach early and ask him if this is what he, what that coach showed him? And it was. Hmm. So that is where the, that's where the Euro ball screen started, at least from, from my standpoint, was that I saw that film. You know, I, I asked, you know, her, you know, Herb Wellman asked me about it. He confirmed it. And then I talked to Jamie Angeli, who at the time was coaching over in, uh, I think he was coaching in Qatar at that point. And so I sent him the facts of, of the diagrams. He said, yeah. He said, I, 
I've seen this before as well, and it started showing me some different options out of it. So that's the that's the genesis uh, of how I discovered the, the the European ball screen offense. Coach, obviously, you, you mentioned a bunch of teams and kind of those, you know, Tel Aviv and Olympiacos, where you you kind of noticed that same offense being run. Was there something aside from the continuity that you were noticing? Like I know when I watch European ball screen offense, I notice a lot of false actions that kind of lead into stuff. Was there something unique that stood out to you or what, what did those teams do differently that really piqued your interest aside from the continuity of it? Well, you, you, you said it right there was the false motion. It was their ability to, to basically run different actions initially to get into the ball screen. So, you know, and then you just see it, you'd see different, different alignments. Like the first time I saw a diamond alignment was from a, it was in a EuroLeague game. And so, you know, I was used to traditional floppy and, you know, you know, seeing, you know, both guards come off, you know, the screen from the baseline. And so when I finally had a chance to talk to Fran Fraschella about it, I'm like, you know, coach, what do you, you know, what do you think the, the, the reasoning behind was going to the diamond? So Fran Fraschella has always said that, you know, you want to give a shooter two, you know, two different directions to, to go off of. And that traditionally when teams would run like a single double action, as if you're a good defensive coach, you're telling your you're telling that defender to force them to the double side, you know, because you're going to get extra help there. So now you just eliminated that that extra screen, and just you know now the the only choice is he's going to come off on the on the single side. You just don't know which one it is. So I would say it was that. I think also just again the creativity, you know, just some of the different um, the different things that they would do in order to just space the floor um, and just really just kind of you know. Almost like it was it was out of the box thinking, which was was something that I just I think really drew me because you know I'm in a, I was in a situation with a team where we weren't as we didn't have size, we had good shooters. So how do I find ways to help our team be just as competitive when we can't compete against you know the you know we're we're playing against uh, you know David West when he was in high school or a Shavlik Randolph or or, or or somebody like that we can't match up with him size wise. But what can we do with our, our guards and, and with our, our players that can shoot the ball that can keep us in games? So continue down that path. How has it changed or how did it change what you did? And why a coach now, why should they look at this type of offense for their team? I would say it changed for me in probably around 2008 when I, I moved to Chapel Hill High School. And at the time, I was I was basically assistant coach on varsity, but I was also coaching our JV team. And so... I hadn't seen anybody here in the U.S. running that offense. Now, you know, now understand that I think Reggie Witherspoon was was already kind of running the offense, and I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that you know he had already been running at that point. So we put it in with our JV team, and it was it was working really well. And so finally, our varsity coach was like, "Hey, let's run this with varsity." So the next year, we put it in at the varsity level, and then we. We run off like four straight seasons of 20 plus wins. And, you know, we, we had good guards that, you know, could come off screens. And, you know, for a lot of teams, they hadn't seen it before. So all of a sudden, this is this new offense, you know, like, how do you stop this? But I guess the, the best compliment was um, I remember talking to Jeff Capel Sr. at one point. And, and Coach Capel had told me, he said, you know, why run flex when you have this offense? Because it gets you multiple ball screens. It gives you spacing on the floor. It's just, it's a better offense for today's game. And I, I really thought that that was, there was some so much truth there that um, he's like, yeah, and I've already talked to, you know, Jeff, you know, his son, you know, his son's about it. And I think 
one of them was already running it and the other one was familiar with it. So I think it's still relevant even, you know, 10, 15, you know, years later that, you know, if, especially if you don't have a shot clock, I think even if you do have a shot clock, it's effective, but the high school level here in North Carolina, you know, by the time we didn't put a lot of options in because by the time we got to the third and fourth side of the floor, we're shooting layups mm-hmm. or we're getting fouled. When I watched, you know, FIBA games, international play, the, the world games or the Olympics or something like that, I noticed when, when, if the U.S. were to play, the thing they do so much in the NBA is they ice ball screens or they down ball screens. But you've mentioned spacing so much as you've talked about this European ball screen offense. Do you feel like there is a, a strategic way they angle their ball screens, the position they set these ball screens on the floor because – you know, when I study it too, I don't see them get iced a whole lot because of where they're setting ball screens on the floor. So sometimes that gives teams from, you know, the U.S. or teams that play similar style trouble. But what have you noticed about the positioning and angles of ball screens? Well, there's, they definitely do a good job in terms of their positioning. I think a big part of that, Andrew, is going back to the spacing part, is that they use the false motion to basically prevent you from getting into a, a, into a you know, a nice coverage. And so I think that goes back to their ability to basically manipulate your manipulate the spacing, not only with the players, but also, you know, let's say if they're, you know, like right now, you're seeing a lot of teams that will start, they'll, they'll, they'll run kind of like a, they'll run a ball screen towards a two side, but then they'll quickly twist it and come back to a single side and come back to a single side. So they'll also change the, who they put in the corner because again, if you X, let's say if you, you're running a pick and pop situation and you're throwing it out to a shooter, well, they, they want to kind of get your slowest player that has to go X out to that situation. So you'll see a, a lot of that. And then, you know, along with that, um, I know Zach Bovert talked about the wheel action in his clinic where now that when you see a team going to, a, you know, driving to a, the, the double side away from the single side, now they're sending that corner player on a burn cut along the baseline and dropping the the wing player to the corner. I mean, you go back and look, that's what Rick Torbett was talking about and read react, you know, with his driving principles. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just, they just see it differently than us. And so now they're going to come up with a different, you know, way to, you know, once you've adjusted your defense, you feel like, okay, we've got a good pick and roll coverage. Now we're just going to, now we're going to force you into making a, a whole, whole different decision. Is this something you feel like can be run against zone? Because you know, coaches are sitting there thinking, "Well, we play against zone, so that's I don't, I don't think that's going to be able to work." Yes, I think I think you can at least for I think you can get into it for one or two possessions because we've done it before, and at that point, if we didn't get anything, then we would you know we just probably go jump into a um, you know we go ahead and jump into a, a you know a gap set you know if it was a if it was a two three or a one three one, but we at least run it through twice because I think that again, if you set the if you set the screen and can get penetration. Uh, into the nail area and draw that, you know, basically freeze that top defender if it's a two-three. Now you're reversing to th- three, you know, to three people on the side. And if you look at Bobby, if you go back to what Bobby Knight used to say, you want to reverse the ball against the zone and have three people on the, on the weak side. So in essence, you've already got three people all, already there. Now, can you manipulate that? Abs- you know, absolutely. You know, you could go ahead, get into the three-man action. You know. Instead of having the the player roll all the way deep to the block, you could roll them basically to the you know to the mid post area, and then send your shooter down into the short corner area, and you know cut your first cutter into the short corner area, you reverse it, and you're basically getting the same thing. Best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you'll get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. 
Your stats are ready when you need them. An assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. I think, too, when you talk about zone and can you run it against the zone, you mentioned before that burn cut when you send that guy down the baseline. And that's something you don't see a whole lot in American-style ball screen offense. But when you watch European style, you see that burn cut. And it almost, you know, when I first started studying, I'm like, why do they keep doing that? What is the purpose of that burn cut? Can you maybe expound on that a little bit more, what it, what its purpose is, what it does to the spacing, and also maybe how it can be utilized uh, to get behind the zone? Well, I think, again, the whole thing's with vision. I mean, if, you, if, you, if the defender – Obviously, if the zone defense is too low, then you allow a flash into the into the into the middle from you know from the weak side. So by them lifting up higher to cover those flashes to cover that first cutter, I think that's where you, you're able to get that burn cut on you know as the as the first cutter goes through, then you can get that burn cut in that situation. I think the other thing that the burn cut allows you to do, and this is something that Australia does a great job with um, within their flow offense, is that you'll see them burn cut they and then the the big who's got the ball who normally would go into the dribble handoff with that person they just do a quick reverse to the top now they pin down and bring that shoot the the player who just made the burn cut they bring that player back out so i think that's another way that you could almost ship the zone quick swing to the top pin the back of the zone bring that shooter through and then obviously if the defender fights out to get to the get to the shooter now the screener flashes to the ball You've coached it long enough that I'm sure you have some absolutes and things maybe to absolutely stay away from. What would you say are key things for running this type of offense? Well, it's it funny. It's this, this is a good conversation because I've, I've been working with a, a team in the Midwest. They're, they're getting ready to put the offense in, so I was talking to their staff today about it. I think the first thing you have to do is when you – and you break it down into the two-man game into the and then the three-man, the, the three-side, the two-man game and, and the three-side – the two-man game, that player coming off that ball screen has to be a threat to score. They have to be – it can't be just come off the screen just to reverse the ball. That player has to come off looking to get to the nail and either look to get to the rim or as soon as they draw defense at that point, now they're looking to spray the ball either. you know, And not just spray it to the, the top because I think often the teams that I think struggle with the offense, they're just – they're not executing. They're just running a pattern. But if you work on really driving it hard and not just reversing it to the top, to the post, but also work on reversing it to the wing and then reversing it to the corners as well. Because if, if you think about it, really the only time the guard coming off that screen should look to reverse it to the top, in my, in my opinion, is if he sees a hard hitch. Because at that point, you, you get that quick reversal. Now you're going high low. There's, the only way they're going to be able to help is with the, you know, with the low, low defender at that point. If if they're proper, you know, if they're in proper health position. Okay. Now, if the defense is denying, you know, the reversal pass to that post player, then you know, lift that post player higher. Now, when that guard comes off the comes off the screen, if they're not hedging, maybe they're playing kind of a almost like a drop coverage in that situation. The only help is either it's going to have to be the nail defender, and so then that's just a quick quick kick out to the to the wing, and then you know, depending on if they x out or how they play it, 
you know, you maybe get a one one that situation, or, or maybe you're tacking a long closeout in that situation. So it, it really goes back to that terminology that we've heard, you know, different people like Brian McCormick or, or Liam Flynn talk about, you know, small advantage, big advantage. The ball screen creates the, the initial advantage. From there, how do you create the bigger advantage? So I would say that would be the, the biggest thing is that the, the guards have to come, come off that screen ready to attack and looking to score. Then once you get to the three-man side, I think one of the biggest challenges is that teams just run the first cutter through, bring the player up from the corner, and, and then get into the, the two-man action again. I think you've got to be creative. I think you've got to have some different things that you do on that sec, um, once you get it to that second or even the third side. And either you, you know, you you either set the flare screen from the corner like you see like Stanford and and, and Dayton do with the offense. You know, maybe you put a bigger guard at the at the uh, wing position and you run them and run a hook post and be able to post them up. Or, you know, I just I just think that you know you can do you can run the first cutter through get to the second action. You know, but at a certain point it just becomes stale. So being able to have some some action that you can run. In that second and third spread, that will keep teams teams guessing versus, you know, versus just all they're going to do is just zone up with one player and just cover that first cutter and then switch out to the second cutter or switch out to the corner player when they come up. Coach, you talked about being innovative and being creative and, you know, trying to give some different looks. And we had, you know, I know we want to talk about some horn sets and, and some horns offense as well during this time. But I think some you talk about twisting those ball screens and you can get into a lot of horns looks when you twist ball screens coming off almost like a double ball screen or kind of using that to disguise your, your ball screen offense. But can you just kind of maybe talk a little bit about uh, however you want to do it with, uh, you know, getting into a horns look after you twist a ball screen or just a maybe false action to get into a horn set? Well, I'll give you one out of Europe. And, and this is something that I, I, I got the idea from talking to Ryan Pannone is that, you know, you run your basic, um, you know, two-man action, you reverse it to the top. That first cutter is the player that you want to put into the horns action. So you just loop them right up to the top, swing it back quickly. Now you've got your, you know, your guard who came off that first screen, come, you know, goes ball side corner. Now you've got your post players right there and now you're into horns. So I, I really like doing stuff like that versus, you know, having the player dribble down against pressure and now have to get into horns. I think any way you can get the ball, get the ball live at the top to the to the guard with a live dribble versus having to dribble into a horns makes it easy, easier. I mean, you could do a, you know, you could do a zipper cut. I mean, you could zipper and get the ball to the top you know, with a guard in that situation and then sprint the screener back up and get into horns or just go into what they call like a zipper fist where you just set the high ball screen and then you adjust your, your four man based on, you know, what the defense is, you know, if how the defense is going to guard that initial ball screen. I know coaches are always, especially ones that are coaching with a shot clock, are always looking how to do that transition from maybe running like a continuity into running those last 10, 12 seconds, something it's a set play. And so, you know, what you just mentioned would be something to keep in mind. How can we seamlessly flow rather than just kind of abruptly stopping and everybody sprinting to their spots to then now run a set play at the end of the clock? Um, so, you know, once you do transition into that horns opportunity, what would you say are some of the best actions? You don't have to necessarily describe the play itself, but maybe actions that if you were even creating a horns play, what would you say? These are the best things to include in that horns play. Well, I would think that with with horns, I mean, I know that when I've done it at the high school level, 
is that we would have just your basic, you know, we'd have your basic horns action where the guard comes off the post, post rolls, the opposite posts, you know, lifts to the top. And then, you know, we just play off that and go, you know, try to go high low. And then if we did reverse it and then have a high low, maybe go dribble handoff, you know, on that side. I think the second thing is you go with a horn side action where you you enter, you bring it more from the outer third. And now you, it's almost in essence a double drag action. Um, but you could also change that where you take your bigger, your best shooting big, put them more into a almost like a uh, four corners pick and roll action. And now sprint a you sprint the screen around and get into the get into the uh, the pick and roll off that action. So that would be another way to do it. Um, another one that I really like kind of with the double drag is something that uh, I just did a project for um, the Twitter channel Baskethead. And we, uh, we we broke down some of the stuff that Xavi Pasquale, um, who's a Euroleague coach who was at Barcelona and uh, was at Panathinaikos, and I think now he's at um, Zenit, uh, which is a, um, a professional team in Russia. But what he'd like to do is it would be a double drag, and your first screen would be your big, your best shooting big, and then your second screen was, of course, your you know your other big. So he would come off the first one would kind of short roll, and then the second screener would come back and get a quick pin down. Uh, for the the shooting, you know, for the better shooting big, and I mean, if you remember Oklahoma City back in the day, they'd run that for Durant. Mm -hmm. So I think at some, you know, some actions like that. Um, you know, I also like just quick pin downs out of horns, where they just both post players will just go and just quickly pin down. You know, you could point and, and designate who you want to run in that situation and go into a quick pin down for a shooter, and then let's say if the shooter doesn't have anything, the post who set that initial screen comes back and now gets into a step up. Or you could actually invert it and have your guards at the top in the horns action, your bigs in the corner. Now they come up, you cross them, and basically they're flares uh, for them. And of course, you get a lot of slip opportunities off that. So I really think it just comes down your, to you know to your creativity. You know what you you know what you want to do in that situation. I mean, I've seen teams run. You know, I've uh, I think Spain uh, in the Olympics. Um, you know, they were running like an Iverson, and then. The first screener was the four man, so he would. They'd run an Iverson. Their shooter was coming across the baseline. The, you know, the first screener, who's the other, the non shooting or non shooting big, or though the big, they spread into the corner, and then they they went into a Spain pick and roll because they had the, the the shooter underneath the rim. They'd set the ball screen, and then the shooter would come up and get into it. So just a, again, a lot of different ways you can you can kind of create be very creative. And, and going back to Spain, I remember. I want to say this is around 20, either 2012 Olympics or 2016 Olympics. Uh, Coach Scariola, to get into horns, they would run it out of a, a one-four high. And what they would do is they would dribble at the player that they would want to get into the horn set at, at, at the top. They would dribble that player through to you know to under the rim. They would bring the other wing. It looked almost like an Iverson. He was starting to come over and then gets to the nail. And basically, it was almost like a triple screen. For that player that they want to get into the into the um, into the horns, they would bring that player to the top. They would reverse it. Point guard would go to the corner. Rubio would go to the corner, or Lil, you know, Lull, whoever who was at the point guard position would go to the corner. That screener would then pop to the other corner. Both posts come up, and uh, and and again, you're in horns with a live dribble. Coach, I'm glad you kind of you know you mentioned the inverting of your horns because I think you know traditionally, obviously, most horn stuff is run with those two bigs up top, but whether you invert it fully with putting two guards up top and your, your bigs, you know, down low in the corners or in the short corners, wherever you want to put them, or 
putting one guard and one big up top. I think right. what, you know, one thing about European basketball is the matchups and the mismatches are always exposed. I mean, I think it's something that teams are always looking to do. Is there a, you know, maybe a time or a situation that you would say, Hey, we, you know, we need to invert this horns because of this, or we need to stagger it because of this. Do you, you know, I can't put you on the spot there at the situation, but just kind of curious to see if you had anything uh, flowing there. I would say if there's if I, if they're switching, I'd invert it and go go, go small big uh, at, in, at the elbow and basically put my you know and just kind of go what um, um, I forget the call, but basically yeah, you hit your you hit your uh, your guard there and uh, maybe even fake the handoff in in the post or the the guard goes through and then you run basically a, a you know whatever three five pick and roll right there in that situation if they're switching it, you know at that point you know take your pick. I think you could even almost even in this, you know, in this day and age, you could still swing the ball because you're going to, you're going to obviously rotate a player up or even the, if the point guard stepped away, you could swing it back to him and then boomerang it back. If you wanted to isolate the, you know, the guard on the big, or obviously you could immediately just throw the ball up to the big rolling because he's got the smaller player on it. So I would say that would probably be the biggest, biggest one in my situation in that situation is if I know they're going to switch a lot, then we're probably going to look for that first. Coach Perkins has enough knowledge for us to talk for days here, but at the risk of having to take a full timeout instead of a quick timeout, we're going to kind of try to end it there. So before I let you go, Coach, um, I do want to have you direct people to where they can learn more about the things that we talked about today. I know you have several options for them to look at. So why don't you uh, kind of share that with them and then also where they can connect with you on social media? Yeah. Um, so on Twitter, uh, it's Coach Perkins. Um, you know, feel free to connect with me there. I, you know, I do have content on uh, CoachTube, uh, which is a, a site that's dedicated uh, to coaches to basically it's a marketplace for you to to, to put your content there uh, for others to uh, either purchase or you can get to them for free. So I've got all of my legacy content from the the, the products that I made back from 2007 to 2011 there. Um, I did do uh, a couple of years ago, I worked with uh, Evan Orzlak, who is now with the Lakers. Uh, we did a, a project where we broke down Fenerbahce, uh, who's uh, at the time coached by uh, Abrado, Zelko Abradovic, uh, who is uh, just a, a master teacher uh, of the game. And then we also broke down a, a team from Germany called Science City Gina. And you talk about false motion into actions. They were one of the best I've ever seen. So we, we 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 put that together, and then I just recently did an updated five out course where we talked about some some open post stuff and and, and didn't really get into the, the delay actions because I think some other people have done a better job of that. But uh, just talk about some different uh, options you could do from five out. I mean, if you think about it, Euro Euro ball screen is basically five out. It's just a, a different spacing of five out, but it's it is five out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Coach Layson Perkins. Coach, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, guys, thank you so much. This has been a blast. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.